0: This is the first of ten studies on the book of Job. It covers the first two chapters of that book, where terrible disasters hit Job. The book of Job is totally fascinating, but difficult. It is deeply concerned with the question of wisdom how does one live well? But we will leave consideration of that to later in our studies when the question rises to the surface. In particular, the book deals with the questions that arise when disaster strikes. There are no clear answers to the questions it poses. Instead, there are lengthy dialogues between Job and his three friends, then between him and a rather brash young fellow, and only finally with God. We are left to think and puzzle over what is said, and draw our own conclusions rather than treating it as an authoritative text that tells us things we should believe or do. One commentator says we need to be transparent about the hazards of being human and teach the full witness of Scripture, which is messy, complex, and ultimately wonderfully true. That is nowhere more the case than in the book of Job. This is an attempt to teach that full witness as we are given it in this book. To give an idea of what is to follow, here is the first chapter. In the land of Oz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned, and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household, and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands, so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, stretch out your hand, and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, "'The oxen were ploughing, and the donkeys were grazing nearby, "'and the Sabeans attacked and made off with them. "'They put the servants to the sword, "'and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you.' "'While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, "'The fire of God fell from the heavens "'and burned up the sheep and the servants, "'and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you.' "'While he was still speaking,' Another messenger came, and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, and swept down on your camels, and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came, and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. And then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. What a situation! Before looking at it in any detail, here is an overview of what is to come. The book tackles two major questions in particular. One, why is it not true that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people? A psalmist realized that when he said, "'For I envied the arrogant "'when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. "'They have no struggles. "'Their bodies are healthy and strong. "'They are free from common human burdens. "'They are not plagued by human ills. "'This is what the wicked are like, "'always free of care. "'They go on amassing wealth. "'Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure "'and have washed my hands in innocence.'" And then the major question too is, how can it be that our world and our life in it is subject to so much chaos? It also raises two other questions that follow from those two. Three, how can we live wisely in this difficult environment? And four, how can we trust in the reliability of God if he presides over such an erratic world? We will not get complete and totally satisfactory answers to those questions, but we will be forced to think through our attitudes toward them and come to a deeper appreciation of this world we live in and the God who created and now controls it. Question 1 revolves round one false idea that was common in those days and is still very common today. That is, that everything that happens to us as a moral cause behind it, leading to the effect we see. We will call this a CEP, because effect Principle. It suggests that if I am good, only good things will happen to me. If I am bad, then bad things will happen to me. That leads to commonly heard statements like, He didn't deserve that. Implying that something terrible has happened to an essentially good person and that it shouldn't have done. The CEP does, of course, operate in the physical world. If you put salt in water, you get salt water. If you kick the table leg, you will get a bruised toe. The Book of Job teaches us that a principle like that does not operate in the moral and ethical world. Question 2 revolves around what we will call the NCL, the normal chaos of life. Many Christians would query use of the word chaos in relation to the way the world works, but it does seem to be the right word to use in this book. We will question the use of it more closely in Study 9. As we shall see, the book of Job teaches us that life is not well ordered. It hasn't been since the creation However difficult it may be to accept that God did not create a neat and well-ordered world, but one that appears to us to be a thoroughly erratic one, that is what he did, and we have to live in it. To move on to the detail of chapter 1, here it is. Job was probably a real person who gave rise to many stories. He lived in the Middle East, but not in Israel sometime about the same time as Abraham. The book was written by an Israelite much later, probably about 700 BC, possibly using an old beginning and the end as a frame into which he put the lengthy poetical dialogue which is the main part of the book. The obvious intention was to do something to answer some of the questions raised by the old tale we will look at selected sections of the book, not all of it, which can be a bit repetitive. The Satan of this chapter is not the devil of later books of the Bible. He is a member of the angelic council, the verse 6 of that chapter 1. He is the accuser, prosecuting counsel before the Lord, a sort of attorney general, so we are straight into a courtroom type of thinking. We shall soon find that much of the book is concerned with Job wanting a judicial review of his case. He wants to be able to argue his case before the Lord. We move on by reading chapter 2. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. To present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, "'Where have you come from?' Satan answered the Lord, "'From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, "'Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity.' though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. "'Skin for skin,' Satan replied, "'a man will give all he has for his own life. "'But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, "'and he will surely curse you to your face.' "'The Lord said to Satan, "'Very well, then, he is in your hands, "'but you must spare his life.' So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it, as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God, and die! He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God, and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes, and met together by agreement, to go and sympathize with him, and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. The challenge and counter-challenge between the Lord and the Satan in these first two chapters are curious to our eyes. The point in that culture is that if Job does not love God for his own sake, but for what he can get out of it, the honour of God is severely damaged. He would be shamed. To explain that, if a woman loves a man, not for his own sake, but because he is rich, we in the Western world anyway, would not think well of the woman. But in this ancient culture, it would bring more shame on the man. Similarly, if good Job does not love God for his, God's sake, that brings shame on God rather more than on Job. I'm going to ask some questions. Pause briefly to let you think about them, and possibly use the pause button to do so then pass comments on them. Question. Some people's first reaction to extreme trauma would be like Job's, tearing his robes and shaving his head, but perhaps not worshipping as Job did. Stop and think for a moment. How would you react to extreme trauma? Would you let everyone know about your grief, or would you bottle it all up inside? How long for? Would this be a healthy thing to do? Answer. Of course, I don't know what your reaction would be. Possibly you don't either, as we often don't know ourselves very well in situations like this until we actually experience them. The way we react to such things is very dependent on the culture of our society. Westerners tend to bottle things up. Other cultures are often more open about grief and better at sharing it. Here's another question. Which of the three friends' actions here would you think most helpful to Job? How would you act in such a situation? How should you act? Answer. Their silent sharing of his grief would be most helpful to him.
1: There would be a great
0: temptation to say all the culturally approved things, many of which are not very helpful. It is a great gift to be able to say truly helpful things in a situation like this. The Lord said to the accuser, You incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. And a question, What are the implications of that statement? What does it tell us? The answer is that all things are in the hands of the Lord, both good and bad. The Bible never teaches the existence of a good God and a bad Satan, or nature, or anything with a power that God does not control. Even when Paul talks about the devil's schemes, the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, and the evil one. He is talking about powers that are acting only with the express permission of the Lord God. That is hard to understand, but it is the way the Bible speaks of such things throughout. The most stunning statement in these chapters is Job's reaction to what has happened. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And a question. What does this tell us about Job's view of God and his relationship to him, and therefore of what ours should be? The answer is that Job had a deep sense of relationship with God that had not been shaken by the appalling external events. For those of us... Westerners in particular, who are encouraged to seek our own good before anything and everything else, thus doing things like divorcing a spouse who no longer seems best for us, this approach to our own gratification is a fundamentally important lesson. And there we end this particular study.